What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Ben Solak and Steve Maurice. And it is Wild Card Weekend, or as the NFL insists on calling it now, Super Wild Card Weekend. Steven, how much money would I have to give you to call the Super Wild Card Weekend throughout the entire show? There's no price. I'm not selling I'll that. do it. You yeah, Will you? Yeah. I'll do, I'll do it. I don't know. I'm getting takeout tonight, so I'll do it for like like 20 bucks. I feel like the middle section of the, the Venn diagram between people that bought like the the Ed Sheeran gear that the NFL released a couple years ago and that say wild card or super wild card weekend is like really full. It's like just Rob, Rob Lowe with the Rob Lowe's in there. Yeah, yeah Rob Lowe. It's just, just him. Rob oh Lowe God. calls it super wild card weekend. <laughs> All right. We're going to break down every game for super wild card weekend. But first, super. I just want to ask you guys generally about the, the theme of the weekend. It's just like rematches. Like every game this round is a rematch. Like Bucks Cowboys. They played all the way back in week one. So some of these were a long time ago. But then like Bengals Ravens literally played last week. So and again, and Bengals Ravens is the third time they played this season. So like half the games this weekend are like the third meeting between these two teams. And I'm curious, Stephen, we can start with you in the anti super wildcard weekend camp. When you look at a game, a playoff game like this where matchups are everything, but they've already played before. How does it being a rematch change how you view a matchup? Uh, I think there's less guesswork when you're analyzing the games. Like a game like Dallas and Tampa Bay, which happened four months ago, basically. Those are totally different teams. So I I don't put too much stock in it. But for these divisional matchups, you not only got to see how these teams matched up initially, you got to see the counterpunch already. And that like makes it easier to figure out what the next move is. So I feel like like... I feel really comfortable about these games, and I feel like I have a good grasp on how I think they're going to play out. Oh, I don't know who's going to win a lot of them. That's famous last words right there. That's scary stuff. No, that doesn't always mean I'm going to get like the the winner right, but I think I can at least envision yeah. what the games are going to look like. No, I agree with that. Like, It'd be nice if rematches and having a good thumb on the pulse of how the game is going to go meant that it was easy to predict a winner, but that's not the case, right? Like, I always remember that Chargers-Dolphins game where it was like, all right, one of two things will happen. I'm confident it's going to be one of these two worlds. You know, they'll stop Tua by doing this, so they won't stop Tua by doing that. The outcomes are extremely different, but it'll be one of those two, right? The other thing about rematches is that it's important to know which coaching staffs like to be static and which coaching staffs like to be uh, variable. They like to adjust, right? The team that's the best example here is the Bengals. The offensive coaching staff in Cincinnati, who did a better job adjusting this year than they have in seasons previous, generally stays really static. This is what we do. This is how we like to do it. Screw you. The defensive coaching staff in Cincinnati, Big Lou, loves to change stuff up, love to figure out what you don't like to do and, and, and adjust to that. And, and they'll they'll be a little bit more of a, of a chameleon, a little bit more of a shapeshifter week in and week out. So when you look at like Bucks Cowboys, for instance, those are some static quarter, co- coaching staffs. They do what they do. So you can go and watch that first game and go, all right, what are the adjustments going to be? Maybe a little bit of this, maybe a little bit of that. But largely... Uh, Tigers don't change their stripes. These teams are these teams. All right. Well, you mentioned Bucks Cowboys. Let's just start with that one. So, Steven didn't even want to do this game. Steven's such a pulse on the on the on the. Th- so, like, just explain why I didn't here. want to do it. 
<laughs> well, we're going to do it. We're doing it first. Uh, Cowboys, Tom Brady, we're doing it. So the Cowboys are 12 and five. They're at Tampa Bay this week. We're eight and nine. So it's funny alone that the Bucks won four fewer games and are hosting. So these teams played in week one. Dallas got crushed. It was like 19 to three. So basically, I feel like you guys are like you guys aren't excited for this game, which spoiler America is because it's Tom Brady with the Cowboys. But is it basically because the Cowboys are the king of making dumb mistakes and Tom Brady's the king of taking advantage of dumb mistakes? Uh, for me, it's just like a boring game. Like both of these teams, like I love watching Dak play, but the, the offense isn't very exciting. And they, it's like dinking and dunking their way down the field. It's, there's not a lot of like explosive plays. And then the Buccaneers are just a slow football team. And like, so like I said, there's not a lot of variation from week to week in terms of play calling. And really, I think this game, this is like the easiest game to break down for me. It just comes down to which team gets more pressure on the, on the quarterback. We've seen dramatic splits with Dak Prescott between when he's not pressured and when he is pressured. That's when the picks are coming. That's when the mistakes are coming. When he's not pressured, and like the nerds tell us that those that sample size is usually more predictive going forward. But when he's been clean, he's been one of the best quarterback in the NFL, basically, maybe behind Mahomes. So, I mean, it's a boring answer, and it's always the answer with Tom Brady, especially. But whichever pass rush unit gets pressure is going to win this game. Well, I guess I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills with this game because I feel like the Bucs are going to win because I, I, at some point, I know it's kind of lazy analysis, but it's like this is Tom Brady versus the Cowboys. This is the greatest comeback player in the history of the sport versus the team that's kind of famous for choking in the playoffs the last 20 years. And I look at this team and I'm like, OK, just like the last month, you have the Cowboys. They just last week, they got crushed by Washington 26 to six in Sam Howell's first career start. Dak Prescott had like maybe the worst game of his career in that game last week. They also haven't beaten a quarterback in the last six weeks that wasn't either a backup or like a starter who had been benched earlier in the season. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay, again, they're awful to watch play, but Tampa Bay has had three double digit fourth quarter comebacks in the last month. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, I I, I feel like I've seen this movie before. So like, am I crazy? I don't think three double digit comebacks in the last month is a good thing. I think that's a very bad thing. I think it's that that implied that very clearly says Tampa Bay should not be here because they should have lost those games because having multiple double digit comebacks in the fourth quarter is a sign that you don't belong across the course of your body of work. This is very the 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 way you brought it, the way you framed it at the top hype, it's very much the case. Body of work, season long, Cowboys are so much clear, so clearly better than the Bucks. Right now, in this moment, when they play each other. With the Cowboys being, you know, the 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 knuckleheads and having like the three, four, five dumb plays a game that they do against the Bucks, who have Tom Brady, that you know, just the, the ability to cure all ills, the run that they've had, these these massive fourth quarter comebacks, it does feel like this thing is a lot closer. Like we kind of just look at like where the arrows are generally pointing. I agree with Steven that a lot of this is about uh, pressure on the quarterback, right? Dak scramble efficacy is down this year scramble rate is generally down this year he's just not moving out of the pocket as much as he used to he's moving within the pocket and electing to make uh, uh contested throws electing to make throws over the middle of the field right cd lamb on a seam ball uh, michael gallup on a, on, a, on a comeback dalton schultz on a crosser right he's trying to hit this intermediate area make all these like big boy grown up a plus high difficulty throws and i think that that's i understand why he's doing that he's very very good at it it's just that's the hardest way to live, right? And there's there's so much easier access. And when you look at teams that beat the Todd Bowles defense, they let it beat themselves, right? They just like throw to the back and they throw screens and they go underneath and they just let the, the Bulls defense like blitz themselves into abandon. They get rid of the ball quickly and then they're able to outspeed them, right? They're able to just beat them on the boundaries. Just like keep it simple, stupid. This is a, this is a game that's going to tell me a lot about Kellen Moore. And I, and I feel like, Who's the Moore's offensive banging, coordinator for the Cowboys? Yeah, for the Cowboys. I feel like Moore's been banging his head into the wall a little bit this season in terms of like, okay, Dak wants to make all these big boy throws. I have like a great contested catch receiver in CeeDee Lamb, a great contested catch receiver in Michael Gallup. Like, let we can just do this. We can do this so well. We can be so good at this difficult style of offense. We can beat everybody. This is the sort of game where like you're just you just you just have way more weapons than the Bucs have guys to deal with them. Just throw the ball to Tony Pollard in the flat. Just throw a screen to CeeDee Lamb. Just let your talent beat their talent. You don't have to make this like a, a super high difficulty game. You don't have to play this game on all Madden. You can play it on rookie, but that's on the offensive coordinator. That's on him to make sure that the offense plays that way. Yeah. And I think that kind of connects to the pressure question. Like 
I agree that it's on Kellen Moore to scheme things up on early downs. And I think that gets you out of out of spots where Todd Bowles can start to send those crazy pressures at you. And I think that's going to affect Dak Prescott's time in the pocket. Uh, the the Bucks defense, like Todd Bowles likes to play base defense. He likes to have four defensive backs on the field on, on early downs. And though we haven't really seen it this year in the past, the Cowboys offense has been really good in base personnel, like having two tight ends, having two backs, mm-hmm. how they use motion, how they use play action, how they use formations to manipulate those matchups. I think that's like a possibility in this matchup. But like Solak has, was saying, we haven't seen enough of that this year. And really, we haven't seen enough of it going back to, I would say, the second half of last year. In the first half, it was that was the best version of this offense that I think we've seen when they led the league in all these different metrics. So if we see a return to that style of play where he is scheming stuff a little more and not just relying on Dak's brilliance as a dropback passer, I think they'll avoid third and long. They'll avoid the blitzes. They'll avoid the pressure. And the Cowboys should move the ball easily, and they should win this game easily. Other side of the ball, you guys are right. The, the Bucks offense is, I mean, it's been awful to watch this year. It's honestly been painful. Like, the Bucks games, we, we make fun of the Patriots for being unwatchable. The Bucs have been, like, unwatchable for large parts of the season. However, I feel like the Bucs, they can't run the ball, but their problem has been a lot of, Tom Brady doesn't want to get hit. Like Tom Brady wants trying to get rid of the ball fast before he takes a hit. But I feel like that's going to change in the playoffs. I feel like, don't we trust like 46-year-old Tom Brady to understand the difference between hanging in the Is pocket? Is he really on... 46? Goodness gracious. Or he's 45 right now, right? He's going to be 46 next year. He's 45 Obnoxious, now, right? man. So, but that's Every thing. time I hear it, it still blows my mind. That's the thing, though. Like, I, I, it was just one year ago that doubting this guy was pretty nuts in the playoffs. And I feel like... To be clear, he has been awful in getting rid of the ball. Like, I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know the Bucs have conver- converted two third and long since Thanksgiving? Literally, they're two of 36 on third and long since Thanksgiving. Yeah. But I hear that, and I'm like, I feel like Brady's getting rid of the ball because he understands he can't get cracked on a hit on third and nine in October and November. I feel like he's not going to just blindly protect his body in the playoffs. And I kind of think that could change the entire Bucks offense. Okay. I think that's a nice thought. I'm not <laughs> sure. Like, uh, that's a believe it when I see it sort of a thing. Because yeah, yeah. the, like, I agree with you that Tom's going to be more willing to take hits. I think that every quarterback is probably going to be more willing to take hits in January football. It just feels different. You know that it does. I, what I will say is if, if I walked into Dan Quinn's meeting room right now and I said, hey, Dan, uh, scoop for you. Tom Brady's going to be more willing to take hits in this game on Sunday. Dan Quinn would be like, hell yeah, brother. Like Dan, like Dan Quinn's got no problem with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like there's the chance that that means more downfield shots for Chris Godwin, right? Instead of like the little option route being at five yards, it'll be at eight yards. Instead of being at eight yards, it'll be at 11 yards. They're going to get Deron Bland guessing, right? They're going to pick on Kelvin Joseph or Nashawn Wright or David Rhodes, who, whoever ends up being corner two on the outside opposite Trayvon Diggs. Like it, it means they might get some more goods. It also means that Micah Parsons might get a hand on Tom Brady more often. Demarcus Lawrence might get a hand. Dorrance Armstrong, Osa Digazua might get a hand on Tom Brady more often. I can generate turnovers. And saying if I, I this guy's not leaving the pocket and my strength, my defense is a four man rush. If he's going to up his time to throw, he's going to be willing to hold on to it longer. To me, that plays into my hands and I'm, he might burn me a couple times. I know he's Tom, but I feel like that's how my defense wins games. So I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried about that sort of approach. Yeah, I would I would be more worried if it wasn't a team like the Cowboys, like if it was a team that doesn't have a great pass rush, but that the Cowboys are going to be happy if Tom Brady's holding the, the ball an extra second. And like I would I would be more confident in the Bucks being able to sneak out a win if they had any semblance of a run game and they could control the clock, keep Dallas's defense on the field, make them tired, make it hard to play man coverage for 60 minutes. But if they're going three and out or they're relying on explosive plays to score, so the the defense is on the field for a long time, I think it's going to be hard it's going to be hard to to make those comebacks that we've seen cuz most of the time when the when the Bucks have come back this year, it's because defenses have just gotten soft at the end, protecting the lead. They've played quarters, backed off, and that's like the one thing you don't want to do to Tom Brady because he'll pick you apart. I don't think Dan Quinn's going to do that. Dan Quinn's going to keep playing man coverage. And unless they tire the, the Cowboys secondary out, I think it's going to be hard to consistently move the ball against that man coverage. Okay, let the record show Steven and Solak are counting out Tom Brady. So we'll see how that goes. 
NFL Wildcard Weekend is here, and the easiest way to get into the playoffs is with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code RINGERNFL. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. If I could make free bets this weekend, TJ Hawkinson over four and a half catches. He had 16 targets the last time the Giants and the Vikings played. I don't understand why it's four and a half, and you should probably bet over four and a half before they change it. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Vandal's also now live in Ohio, so make sure to get in on the action with great offers just for you now and throughout January. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets. Win or lose with the promo code RINGERNFL. Make every moment more with Vandal official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states. First on that real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 New York, 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, next game here. I want to go to the Los Angeles Chargers or at Jacksonville. Uh, just keeping with the theme of a team with a better record going on the road. So the Chargers are favored here by a couple points. This is this one's on Saturday night. I want to bring in our we have a couple producers here, Isaiah Blakely, and we have Eduardo Ocampo. This is I feel like the Jaguars and the Chargers are the two teams that mean people like us in NFL media like to make fun of for their fan bases not existing. I think it's hilarious these two teams are playing and they're literally just the teams that the two producers root for. So before we even go to Steven Solak, Isaiah and Eduardo, I want to hear from you two. Isaiah, we'll start with you and the Jags. What are you afraid of in this Jags Chargers game? Uh, Trevor Lawrence making a bad mistake. Like that's what I don't need. I no more missing guys wide open in the end zone. I I can't. I can't. That like he didn't do it for like two months and it was great, and then he did it in the biggest game of the year. And so I just worry he might do it again, and the Chargers are actually good enough to make you pay for that. Who knew we had Troy Aikman producing this podcast? <laughs> dude, that's crazy. Dude, I was losing my mind watching that game. It was amazing. Like, the hit didn't really impact the throw, he says, as Trevor Lawrence is folded in half like a book. Just a lot of room for error on that throw. He overthrew it. Just give him a chance. Eduardo, you're a Chargers fan. You're actually a, in San Diego as a Chargers fan, Eduardo? Yeah, currently in San Diego. Yep. What is that like? I get a lot of high rolls when I when I tell people <laughs> I'm still a Chargers fan, but you know you live you live to embrace it, you know. How are you feeling for a playoff game at Water? What are you, what are you afraid of? So week three was like 38 to 10, I think, and I'm actually Beautiful. feeling good about the offense because I don't think Corey Lindsley was there, Keenan Allen was out, obviously, Justin Herbert was dealing with all the rib injuries, 
What I'm worried about is actually Brandon Salian's defense. The last three weeks, they've been like a top five defense, but that was against Baker Mayfield, uh, Nick Foles, and I forgot who the other one is. But when you're going up against Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence, I want to have faith in Brandon Staley to be able to scheme up a plan to kind of limit their offense, but just I don't know if I'm fully there yet with the defense. Solak, Steven, jump ball. First of all, does the 38-10 to 10 game from like three months ago matter at all when Herbert's ribs? Do, do you guys care? No, but yes. Yeah, no, that's my answer. No in terms of predicting what happens next. In ter- like win-loss. Yes, in terms of understanding what did Doug see when he saw Brandon Staley's defense? What did Brandon Staley see when, see when he saw Doug's offense? Kind of Doug what, Peterson, coach of the Jaguars, yeah. for those who aren't Eagles fans. Well, everybody knows who Doug is. That's, that's, that's Doug now. Come on. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, it, The chess match of it is really interesting. So this game that they played in week three, Trevor Lawrence, it was a delightful game for him. It may or may not have baited me into making a Jags, is good, Jags are good video. And then the Jags proceeded to go one and six in the next seven games. That's not important. Anyway, uh, second lowest time to throw of any game this season, 2.2 seconds. Second lowest average depth of target in any game this season, less than five yards average depth. Third most yak in a game at 63%. Trevor dropped back, landed on his back foot, and threw the football to somebody and said, hey, Brandon Sale, you know how you have a lot of really light players? Tackle. Tackle all game. We're gonna, we're gonna, they would go heavy personnel with a lot of tight ends and run the football, and then they would spread out from those heavy tight ends. They would throw the ball to Evan Ingram. They'd throw it to Dan Arnold. They had James Robinson at the time. They would throw it to like Zay Jones, and they'd say, yeah, go tackle him. And, and, and that challenge was not answered by this Chargers defense. And while I agree with Eduardo, like the Chargers defensive improvement over the last month, month and a half, is in large part due to some of the quarterbacks that they faced. One of the things that you have seen them improve is their ability to play with physicality, their ability to tackle. Uh, you, you've just seen like Michael Davis on the field helps a lot in that regard. Uh, Alohi Gilman, who's gotten a lot more snaps at safety for them, is a much more solid tackler than like Nasir Adderley, who's at, still at this time kind of dominating the snaps at, at weak safety for them. They've improved in, in their physicality in the secondary. So what I'll be interested to see is one, how well do they tackle? Because Doug's going to check that again real quick. And then number two, what uh, do they do to pressure Lawrence? What do they do to make Lawrence hold onto that ball for an extra half beat? And then are they able to get home with them? Because remember, Joey Bosa left this game. And so you've got a quick passing game now with no pass rusher who can win fast. Lawrence was barely pressured. So you, A, you have to find a way to make him hold onto the ball for a second, make sure he's going to be in the pocket long enough to go get to him. And then B, you need Joey, who's been back for the last two weeks, but has not played a majority of the snaps in each game. You need Joey to be the guy. The, the, uh, if the Chargers are going to make any sort of meaningful playoff splash, they need Joe, Joey Bosa to come back and be what he's always been when he's been healthy, which is that like impact can win a one-on-one can get you off the field and third down defender. Steven, I feel like these are your two favorite quarterbacks in the entire league or up there other than Gina Smith, like Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence. And they're just both very tall guys with rocket arms and process really quickly. But for the chargers, I feel like on offense, you, you wrote a great piece of the ring this week of like the key to every NFL wildcard game. And I, I liked what you said in that about Herbert and Keenan Allen, but I'm curious what you think about, Obviously, Brandon Staley played his starters last week for like a really long time, and they had a bye week. They weren't going to move their playoff positioning, and he could have just taken a bye week, basically. And instead, he played people and got Mike Williams got hurt. I'm curious what you think about the Chargers offense if Mike Williams can't play and if if that matters because Keenan Allen's more important or what? Yeah, I like if I had to choose between the two, which one I would rather have if I was a Chargers coach, it would be Keenan Allen for this matchup because the Jaguars are really bad against slot receivers like one of the worst teams in the nfl they give up like the most epa per target the most total epa the most targets they give up like 11 yards per uh, target so it's i said target way too many times but they didn't have they had like deandre carter and josh palmer in the slot they like tried to put mike williams in the slot in that game it just didn't work because those one those receivers aren't very good and then mike williams just isn't a fit and though they were kind of getting open but herbert was uh getting through his progression so quickly that he wasn't like giving them time to actually get downfield that those, t- those routes take time to develop. But I think with Keenan Allen out there, he's going to be more willing to hang on to those, those routes a little longer, maybe not go to his check down. And I think that we'll see him make some of the throws that, and it's hard to say because he was, he was nursing the ribs and maybe that's why he wasn't making those deeper throws, but he, he left a lot of throws on the field that game. And I don't think that's going to be the case this time. So I, I think the offense is going to work better. And then I think the Chargers' defensive improvement over the last 
I, I would say like two months is not just based on their pass defense getting better and the, and the quarterbacks they face. It's been a change in how they defend the run. And it's been like a complete 180 from the stuff Staley was doing in Los Angeles or with the Rams that got him hired. They're, they're lining up in two high just as much, but they're rotating down to one high like every snap. And they're, they're not doing the gap and a half stuff where they have run defenders defend one gap, but if the, the ball bounces a certain way, they, they defend another gap. Now they're just having their guys attack the gaps. It's, it's not as passive. It's more aggressive, and it's helping them make plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So I think like between the improvements for the defense being real, in my opinion, and then the offense being healthier, I think that first matchup doesn't really matter for this one. And, I, and honestly, I think the Chargers have uh, the advantage here. Well, I say you're the Jaguars fan. Any other fears or concerns? The defense concerns me because it's like they give up a lot of yards, I feel like. But then they kind of make a play here. They make a play there. But like the secondary is kind of fake, I think. I don't know. I don't know why teams don't score more. Like they've played great the last few weeks, but I'm not quite sure why teams don't score more other than Tyson Campbell's good. But like Darius Williams is like five, nine. I'm a little worried about Mike Williams being in that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think they cover great other than Cisco. And I think they're terrible over the middle, like guarding over the middle. So I, I'm a little, Keenan Allen concerns me for sure in this game. And the one thing like about like the Jacks capitalizing on mistakes, like Justin Herbert just doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't yeah. take, well, he's taking more sacks now, but he doesn't take a lot of sacks. He doesn't throw interceptions. He doesn't throw into coverage. So the Jags are a team that force you to kind of, dink and dunk your way down the field and mm-hmm. soon enough you're going to take a sack or, or throw a pick justin herbert's not going to do that yeah uh, to, to uh, isaiah's note on the jags defense uh ian hart it's a pro football focus had this week uh the playoff defense league-wide ranks in havoc and havoc is a common defensive metric at the college level where it's like uh tackles for loss or, or no gain forced fumbles interceptions pass breakups and pressures like i think sacks is included in there as well all over the total number of plays you face so it's how many times the defense straight winning how many times are they like creating a positive play defensively and the Jags are third in the league they're behind only Buffalo and the Eagles right and I think that people don't think of the Jags defense as good and rightfully so because they give up a lot of yards they give up scores if you play mistake-free football they're not really going to stop you but knowing that and Mike Caldwell coming from the Todd Bowles defensive background they pitch gas they throw weird stuff at you that up against a supercomputer like Herbert is not the spot you want to be in, right? Assuming Herbert's ribs work, you do not want to be a havoc-based defense against a guy who's so good at avoiding mistakes as Justin is. I'm kind of surprised Eduardo didn't say Joe Lombardi because that's always the concern with the Chargers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is the and, one concern. Yeah. And in that first game, like all of the stuff he tried that was like schemed up stuff, like like RPOs and screen passes and all that, just didn't work at all. It was just terrible. The Jags were on all of it and most of them went for negative yardage and it really put Justin Herbert in a bind. And he, they were already at like a personnel disadvantage. And then they get like the fluky pick that goes off. Of, I think it was Eckler's hands. And yeah. that turns into a touchdown. Like that game, that game script just went downhill from the very beginning. And I don't know if you can expect that to happen again. I, I don't think it's going to be like a blowout or anything. I think both teams are going to score points, but I think the game's going to look much different. I think it was off Sony Michelle's hand. So, yeah, I do think this game will go a little bit differently. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Sonny, who's definitely Sonny not going to be impacting the game for the uh, no. the Chargers this week. Nope. All right. Enough about your teams. I want to I want to talk about mine. Eduardo Isaiah, thank you. Um, all right. I want to talk about my anxieties now. This is basically therapy. The Giants are at the Vikings this week. Um, he still might beating heart. The Vikings are favored by three. I this is the game the Giants fans wanted. I'm not going to lie. I feel good about this. I'm stressed at how good I feel about this. I'm stressed that everyone's looking at wildcard weekend and being like the Giants are the team to bet on. I don't like that. But if I didn't know that, I'd feel super confident about this. Like Giants fans want this matchup. I think the simplest way to put it is the Giants should have picked Kirk Cousins off three times in that game. And they only lost by three points. Like they dropped two picks. They had a third pick called back for a penalty. And it's like they still the Vikings still needed a buzzer beating 61 yarder to beat them. Kind of think the Giants outplayed the Vikings and by the grace of Justin Jefferson, Minnesota really and Hawkinson kept it close. But um, Steven, you're vigorously nodding. You wrote a great piece this week about cousins. Basically the giants blitzed them half the time. He kind of beat them and you were saying the giants should blitz less, but they almost picked cousins off three times. So should the giants blitz less? Yeah. Cause when they almost picked them off, they weren't blitzing. 
I, I think that that was the strategy was to they were willing to give up stuff underneath, but Kirk wanted to push the ball downfield. That gave him more time to get pressure, and I think that was a big reason why the Vikings' offense—I wouldn't say it was bad because they scored points, but it was a little disjointed. I think that has to change. Like the approach for the Vikings has to change. They have to figure out a way to run the ball. They couldn't run the ball at all because they, their tight ends just couldn't block the edges of the Giants. And like the Giants were able to stick in light boxes. They were able to play a lot of too high when they didn't blitz. And it gave the Vikings, who have been like a big play, explosive play type of offense this year, it gave them a lot of problems. I feel like, so Justin Jefferson on the, on the plays that the Giants did blitz, he had six catches for five first downs and 93 yards, which is absolutely nuts. I, the, weirdly, the Giants could have a health advantage if they get Adoree Jackson back. He's their top cornerback. Xavier McKinney's going to play in this game. He's like their second best defensive player. He's their captain. He calls the plays. He's back. After, broke his hand freaking ATVing on the bye week. So no, I'm over it. Don't worry about it. But he's back in this game finally. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Vikings could have a third string center if he plays. That would be, I mean, obviously better for the Giants. So look, I'm curious. Just like the advantage that Brian Dable gives the Giants and Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator, like, are you more confident in Dable and his game planning, or do you just think the Vikings are more talented? Ooh. I'm not even sure the Vikings are more talented. You know what I'm saying? Well, the like, Giants have Isaiah yeah. Hodgins and, and Richie Listen, James starting at receiver. I liked Isaiah Hodgins quite a bit coming out of that draft class. Go Beavs, all right, Oregon State. Uh, the thing is, like, Steven's been on this take for a little bit and I pushed back on him with it, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of a, a little bit over the hump now. Like the Vikings defense schematically, they don't do a lot of very interesting stuff. They're trying more stuff on the back charge of the season or blitzing more. They're inviting a little bit more chaos. That's good. But Ed Donatel, their DC is kind of just calling the defense. He has to call for the piece that he's been given. And what does that, that mean? So uh, their corner situation, right? Oh, uh, the cornerbacks suck. Cause they've Minnesota yeah. hasn't the quarterbacks in seven yeah. years. Pat Pete, Cam Bynum, Duke Shelley. Uh, they Duke Shelley's good. Duke Shelley is a nutcase, and I appreciate him dearly. Duke Shelley is also my size. So we got, <laughs> ah, you know, tricky. Um, well, you're like 6'4", 230, right? Yeah, 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 100%, 100%. Check Twitter, you'll see. Uh, <laughs> the, the, giant, the Vikings' corners are not uh, fast and struggle in isolation, right? And so they try to protect them constantly, and that's just not a winning formula against this Brian Dable offense, even with the issues at receiver, because A, Dable, Dable will screw around with formation width. He loves to go condensed formations. I used to put multiple tight ends on the field, all to put you in a spot where your corner has to cover a big area of the field. And then like Richie James can separate. Isaiah Hodgins can win an, like, a, like a contested catch. Like Lawrence Cager can do this. Like these, the, the, this happens, right? Daniel Bellinger, like they're not going to like break six tackles after the, 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 the catch. They're not going to snap off Justin Jefferson routes. But when they're given layups, they can lay up. They're, they're professional football players, you know, and Dable gets them to those spots. So, like, Dable is the advantage. But also, the the Vikings' issues in the secondary are is the sort of thing that a really smart offensive coach can hit and can expose. And that's why you've seen, like, the Eagles put a ton of points on them, the Bills put a ton of points on them, and then the, the Giants, where it's it's not just you have an elite quarterback and elite receiver. It's if you have a, an offensive coach who understands the limitations that Donatel's forced to work with, he can get him to the spots he doesn't want to be in. Uh I think that like I think the talent difference between the Giants and the Vikings is overstated. I think it's closer than people realize. I think the coaching advantage to the Giants is legitimate. The one thing that I think is in the Vikings' favor is 18. And it's Justin just a Jefferson. question of, yeah, can you endure? Is that's all it is. Because if Martindale gets Adore Jackson back and decides, yeah, man coverage, single high then we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to be it. alive. It's like the but Walter if, White meme. Don't do it. Yes, and he's it like screaming out of the truck. It. It's so <laughs> yeah. true. But if Martindale is able, if somebody can keep that dog on a leash for four quarters and just say, wink, chill, we'll let you do whatever you want in the divisional round. Just not today. Not this. It's not and happening, they, buddy. Yeah. They play with some brackets and they play with some clouds and they they, they, they played off cover a lot and they tried to force the, the Vikings if they were going to hammer them with targets hammered underneath. They go that approach. I think they'll be okay. Well, so while we're here, if you want free money, TJ Hawkinson's like over, it's over under his four and a half catches. He had like 16 targets the last time they played because the Giants have yeah. the worst linebackers when you see, in the When NFL. you see uh, Jalen Smith in coverage, baby, we yeah. won. That's no like, problem. That's free money. And But Steven, I, I, so my mom, it's the reason I'm a Giants fan. She was just like, why is Brian Dable so good? 
And again, Brian Dable, but Mike Kafka calls the plays. But the Giants, why is their play calling so good? All I could come up with was basically, it's such a cliche, but he just does what works. Like there was that Jag, no offense, Isaiah, sorry, but like this Jaguars game, they call eight plays in a row and like they just didn't, don't go bored of what works. But then when teams adjust, I feel like the first two thirds of the season, the Giants were doing bootlegs and multiple tight ends and throwing just to the flat just because it was easy six yards. And then when teams crept up and tried to take that away, then they did an actual drop back passing game, and were, which they didn't do for months. And now they're actually throwing the ball to, as you said, Richie James and Hodgins. And so if you're kind of checking it in the NFL season now and like, why are the Giants good? This team sucks. Is the simplest explanation just Dable is just they're willing to just throw the ball where the defense isn't and not get lost in the sauce. Yeah, I think he like just makes things simple. Like he does the thing that makes the most sense. And it, this the last game, the first game was a good example of this and how they run the ball. Like go back and watch all of Saquon Bar- Barkley's runs from shotgun. He starts off on one side of Jones and then he flips to the other side. And it happens literally every single play. And the reason why Dayball was doing that is because He's trying to attack a certain gap in the defense. Like the Vikings are a four down defense. So they have four defensive linemen, the two interior defensive linemen. One's going to be in the A gap. One's going to be in the B gap in the even front. He wants to attack the open A gap. So he knew the how A-gap's to. A between the center and the guard. The center and the guard and the B gap's between the guard and the tackle. He wants to run to the open B gap, basically. And the Vikings were aligning their defensive tackles based on where the tight end was. And, not, and they weren't mm-hmm. switching if the back flipped. Because, like, if you're in a shotgun, like, if you're in the shotgun and Saquon Barkley's to your right, you can, if you're running inside zone, you can, or like a run up the middle, you can only really run to the left. You can't, like, give him the ball and then he's going to pivot back to the right. So, as anyone who's played Madden and tried to audible run in shotgun knows, you can't do it. Right. So, so Dayball would just come out, present the formation. The Vikings would get lined up. Saquon Barkley would flip to the other side of Daniel Jones and they would just run the play to to the B gap bubble. And they just kept doing it. And they did yeah. it for like, they did it like 12 times in like three drives and it worked. The one yeah. thing I will say about Dayball is sometimes he go he leans into that a little too much. And we saw this in Buffalo when like they just like stopped passing on first and second down for a stretch. And in this game, you kind of stopped saw passing on first and second down. Or sorry, stop running. Stop running. On yeah, first and second they down. like one game. They like went like the whole. Game I would, I would running. distinctly remember if there was a period of time in which the Josh Allen Bills stopped throwing the football. No, that was the Patriots against the Bills last year. But, yeah, yeah. but like every time they went under center in this game, not every time, but 11 out of 12 times, they just called play action passes. They didn't run the ball from under center. They ran the, ran the ball once from under center, but no other runs, no drop back passes, just play action passes. And if you watch those plays in order, you could just see the Minnesota edges not respect the run more and more with every snap. They just disregarded the run and just started attacking uh, Daniel Jones. And he averaged like negative 0.6 EPA per uh, play in that game because of it on those on those play action under center. So I think he has to he has to mix things up a little bit in this game because the Vikings are going to be ready for that little ploy where he flips Saquon before the snap. They have to be ready for it. And if they're not, then the coaching staff should get fired. But I think they yeah. will be. And if Dayball doesn't have like a plan B or plan C, that's the way I see this game getting out of hand and, and I could see like the Vikings and their star players winning the game for them. Yeah. Dable has a little bit of Sean McVay without the hair gel to him. Right. We're like, well, without yeah. hair. Yeah. Without hair. It makes it tough to have the hair gel. He is everywhere. Uh, McVay can't grow hair and vice versa. It would, it would be funny if he put the hair gel on his. Yeah, exactly. His <laughs> There's, is yeah, there no. any coach in the NFL that looks more like they just came down from the upper deck of their home stadium and wandered onto the sideline than Brian Dable with this go? Yeah, yeah, Wink yeah. Martindale, his defensive yes. coordinator. coordinator. <laughs> Brian, yeah, Dable and Wink is a, is a great coaching aesthetic. You look at that, you're like, I trust these guys. They, they could they, tailgate. They coach, they coach a good football team. They could just tailgate in the parking lot and crush Miller Lights, and like nobody yeah. would even notice. Right. The uh, the reason why like he's got some McVay to him, I'll never forget when he took over the offense in 2018 for Buffalo and they're walking out with like condensed sets and like bunches attached to the tackle and they're sending guys in jet motion and you're watching being like, what's the logic here? Like, what's interesting? And then you realize, like, wait a minute, like this is this is McVay stuff like he's taking he never coached under Sean, but he's like taking Sean stuff. And then like a couple years later, they're doing like air raid bananas nonsense, right? They're running like play action stuff for Jalen Hurts and then quarterback run stuff for Jalen Hurts that he ran when he was at Bama. And then they've got the Earhart Perkins background. because He's from New England. So they're running like all New England's favorites. And you start to realize like, oh, this guy, like he's got a really wide. He's got a really big dashboard. There's a lot of buttons, a lot of keys, a lot of switches, a lot of flips, a lot of dials like he's 
he's he has a wide perspective on football. He's been at the NFL level, the college level. He was like a defensive assistant for the Patriots for a couple of years. Like he's got a holistic view, and he's starting to figure out what buttons do I press when this happens. What switches do I flick when that happens? He's starting to get a, a rhythm, a cadence. He's starting to get a, a decision-making flow to him, right? If this, then that. And I thought I think you saw that over the last couple of years when Josh Allen really started to get good. And I think you see that in New York. Less pronounced because they have less talent than Buffalo did. But Dable's always got a, okay, and once you go here, I'm going to go there. And if you move this way, I'm going to move that way. It's like a grandmaster at a chessboard. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. He just knows where the buttons are. And that's an understated thing in play calling. And he doesn't call plays. Kafka does. But it's an understated thing in terms of play calling and play design. It's having a plan throughout the week to say, all right, we're going to run at the B-gap bubble until it bursts. And then once it bursts, once they adjust to go to the B-gap, now we're going to you know, have this change up with our tight end. It's going to get us an explosive. I think that's where the Daniel Jones concern comes in because there's only so many plays Dayball can call if Daniel Jones isn't go- going to make the throws. And in the week 16 game in Minnesota, Jones wasn't making the deep outbreaking throws that you have to make against Minnesota's defense. Cause Minnesota is going to have their safeties. They're going to play too high. They're going to take away the middle of the field and they're going to have those safeties jump those routes, the inbreaking routes like Harrison Smith has made a living off those this year. So you, you're, you have to throw outbreaking routes to the perimeter, deep ones. And like Daniel Jones literally just doesn't throw them. Like all year long, he doesn't throw them. Is this Daniel Jones slander from the, the world's leading Daniel Jones expert and defender? It is. It is. But he averaged 0.8 outbreaking throws. So that's like any out or any corner out over 10 yeah, good ones against 8. the Vikings, though. He had a couple good out, uh, throws to the outside in the Minnesota game. Really? Because when I watched that film, I thought it was like, yeah. he's the reason so, why they lost the game. Because he, yeah. one, he wasn't making the throws. Two, he was missing some of the throws. He did make like a handful of them. But for it's never a question of his capability. It's like the mindset and pulling the trigger and making the throws with him. Yeah. There's a, like, in terms of like arm strength, there's not much of a difference between like a deep crosser. Like it, it breaks at 15 yards. It ends up outside of the numbers. And a deep out that breaks at 15 yards ends up outside of the numbers. But in terms of process, there's a huge difference, right? And that's where like, Jones will throw a crosser that like ends up getting caught at the numbers on the other side of the field. But in terms of like an actual outbreaking route from that side, deep comeback, deep out of the sidelines, blaze out like some of these ideas that that requires a lot more anticipation, requires a lot more like like vision, understanding of accuracy that that I think challenges a quarterback like Jones. Uh, I did want to ask. I know we've been on the Giants and Brian Day, but we kind of got excited. I did want to ask. I, I wanted a Daniel Jones contract extension heat check from the boys here, from the Giant fan and from the Daniel Jones fan, because the the rumors are are. are uh, mongering the rumors are spreading it's daniel jones time in new york baby he convinced them and i want to know how we feel about that i said before the year the worst thing that could happen to the giants is they play just well enough to extend daniel jones but not make the playoffs they've now made the playoffs they have to extend daniel jones he is like i was about as pessimistic as a giants fan you will find about daniel jones he's become the heart and soul of the team he's the ethos of like the brian dable smart tough dependable he's been fantastic he has won me over uh, he's just stopped making the mistakes that like defined his career. And honestly, it's this is what happens when you go from Jason Garrett for two years to Dable. And like, I think he's flawed. I think there's a hard ceiling on how good he'll ever be. He'll never get an MVP vote or probably ever sniff one. They have to bring him back and they're going to have to bring him back for $30 million a year. And that's fine. Just give him four years, 120 million. It's fake money. It's really a two year deal for like 60 million guaranteed. Fine. Do it. Uh, yeah. What's wrong with that? Two years. If you can get it's, out of it in two years, I don't think there's any risk. Any they real They can't risk. do anything and, better. Like, there's no replacement that will be better than he has been. Just pay him. It's right. fine. And I, I think, like, Daniel Jones isn't a great quarterback. He probably isn't a good quarterback yet, but he's a, a decent quarterback, and he's still relatively young, and we've seen enough out of him to know he has some talent. Like, this is the type of quarterback that I think you should just let simmer, and he'll yes. turn into something useful eventually. He's got a stew like, going. Just let him simmer. He's Ryan Tannehill in Miami. Just like there are pieces there. I, I know people like to shit on Daniel Jones, but I mean, my only problem is he needs to make he needs to attempt the throws that he doesn't attempt. By the way, he did not complete a pass, an outbreaking pass over 10 air yards. Against the Maybe it was just back shoulder throws. Steven was yeah. up in true media. Yeah, uh, Steven's just like casually yeah. just like trying. to. So I look at the Derek Carr extension, OK, which he got when he was. 31 and Daniel Jones is what right now, like 25. So you probably scale it, scale it a little bit for, for Jones being younger. But Carr's extension was was three years, 121.5. So 40 million per year. Last year. But the guarantees were low enough that you could get out of it after one year, as we very well know, because the Raiders are currently getting out of the Derek Carr contract. <laughs> Daniel Jones agent says you put that on the table, we sign it tomorrow. Yes or no? 
Absolutely not. There's zero chance any quarterback would ever take the Derek Carr extension. It was fake. They gave him a six million dollar raise with no guaranteed money. That was like that was like a, a that was like a becoming a made man. The, sorry to make a movie reference. So like that was like Goodfellas. You could become a made man. They shot him in the back of the head. That was the deal they gave Derek Carr. I don't think they take it today, but I think they're going to get a reality check if they hold off on it and they'll sign it in March. He can just say no and take the tag for thirty million. Like it's the floor is thirty million a year, and they have to guarantee it for at least one year. Uh, right, guarantee yeah. it for two years because of the tag. The way the tag works is you have to guarantee him basically, give or take about seventy million dollars because he can just say no, and then you're not. What do you do? Let him go to free agency. You have to tag him. Then you have to tag him again. That's seventy million dollars. That's the that's that's how the negotiation works. It's like let him go to just, free agency. Why not? Exactly. I think they should let him go to free agency. I think cares. I was just. I was just asking. I was just feeling it out. Just you know, how how I care, how hard, Stephen. How committed are you to the simmer? Is all I wanted to know. Matt Rule is no longer in the NFL. You don't have to worry about some team giving him a bad contract. No, it's it, no. They will no. They, He'll come crawling some, back to the uh, Giants, just like Blake Bortles did with the Jags. All right. Well, no, no. All right. Well, speaking of quarterback contracts, what a transition. The Baltimore Ravens are at the Cincinnati Bengals this week. This is a weird game, and I don't even know what to say. So again, these teams played last week. I don't even know what to say right now. So we're recording this Thursday afternoon. Maybe things have changed at this. As of this moment, Lamar Jackson, once again, has not practiced. He hasn't practiced in seven, eight years. I don't even remember when Tyler Huntley returned to practice today. That's supposed to be the good news for Baltimore. We can get to like the other side of the ball, the Ravens defense and the Bengals. But in terms of the Ravens offense, is there anything to even say here? If Tyler Huntley is playing for the Ravens, the Ravens have any chance of winning this game. If Tyler Huntley's quarterback. If they figure out a way to score 20 points, I, I think they have a chance. I don't think they're going to score 20 points unless they score on yeah. defense. So I guess the answer is no. But like if you get an A-plus Tyler Huntley performance, I don't think it's out of the question because I do think this Ravens defense matches up very well with the Bengals. I'd make yeah. the argument that out of any non-49ers defense, it might match up the best with this team in the playoff yeah. field. I know Bengals fans are generally like upset with kind of the way the AFC playoffs shook out and like the figuring out the seating and figuring out the home games and yeah, yeah, whatever. And us. Bengals fans are very yeah. upset with us as well. Steven and I specifically. Yeah. Getting a Lamarless Ravens in the first round is so nice because you, if you handle business, you beat this defense. And I absolutely agree with Steven. This is the best defense to stop the Bengals that exists in the AFC playoffs. That's huge. That's nice to, to get rid of that team. You not feel like you can always at least put the Bills and, the, and the, the Chiefs in a shootout. That's enormous. Uh, I am very Ravens defense-pilled at this time. Uh, we talked a lot in the first month of the season when the Ravens had some key games against the Dolphins and against the Bills. With their new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, simulated pressures, match quarters, college style of defense. And they just weren't getting the stops they needed to get. They were bad on third down. Kyle Hamilton wasn't in a great spot. And we started talking about you know, to run this sort of defense, you need to be a little bit Brian Dable. You need to have the dashboard. You need to know which buttons to press. It's all about reactions and trends. And you have to have a thumb on the pulse of opposing offenses. Man, down the stretch, they figured it out, right? Like Hamilton's in a much better position. He plays slot corner now, plays the nickel. He's a big son of a gun at nickel. That third round pick, Travis Jones, good for them a defensive tackle. Tyus Bowser is off of the injury list. Marcus Williams is off of the injury list. And critically, you trade for a Mike linebacker who can tie it all together, who can hold the pieces together in Roquan Smith. He maximizes everybody around him. He makes Hamilton better. He makes Patrick Queen better. He makes the defensive front better. I mean, Roquan is a force multiplier. There's no clearer case, if you just want to open your eyes and look, of the value of a good Mike linebacker than what happened to the Ravens over, the, over this defensive course of the year. It's plain as the nose on your face. And like they paid him $100 million for it. So it better work, and it has. So there is a 1% outcome where the Ravens win this game like nine to six because this defense just plays that well. I don't think it happens, but I like I'll still watch the game for the chance that we see like the full culmination of this defense, which the Ravens really built like why fire wink? Why hire Mike McDonald? Because they had to have a guy. They needed to have a defense that could deal with Joe Burrow in the division two games a year, every single year. Like they needed to make that change. Wink was never going to be able to beat a Joe Burrow with the way that he calls defense. So they made an adjustment and, and it's paying dividends for them. So tune in. And then once the Bengals score 14 points, tune out because the game's over. So, yeah, the Bengals, I mean, again, these teams played last week and Joe Burrow had 215 yards and a touchdown. I think it was three or four throws away from like 380 yards and four touchdowns. So, Stephen, like, what did the Ravens do to mess with Joe Burrow? Uh, the one thing I think they do well and something that's given Burrow some issues, obviously he's been very productive, so he doesn't have a lot of issues. But one of his weaknesses has been 
post-snap adjustment. Like he, he gets a picture of the defense in his mind before the snap, knows where to go with the ball. And then when the picture changes, that's when you see some of his, his bad plays. It's, it doesn't happen all the time. And like, this is relatively speaking. So compared to like a, a, an average quarterback, it's not a problem. But for like elite quarterbacks, it might be one. But the Ravens will, and I think what the best defensive coordinators do in general is they'll present space before the snap and then take it away after it. So they'll give Joe Burrow a good look. They'll they'll make it seem like, oh, Jamar Chase is one-on-one on the outside. He's getting press coverage, and there's no safety deep on that side of the field. And then Burrow's like, I'm throwing the go ball. That's what I've always done with, with Chase out on the field, going back to LSU. But then post-snap, they'll rotate into like cover two or something. The cornerback will jam the receiver at the line of scrimmage, mess up with the timing, and then Burrow all of a sudden has to come up with a plan B or a plan C, and he holds on to the ball a little bit longer, and that's when you see the sacks happen. That's what ha- has happened in both Baltimore games. Now, I-, I think some Bengals fans are pushing back against the notion that the Bengals were trying like their best to win that game, and they put out a game plan that will look similar to the one that they put out this weekend. I mean, I think there's some validity to that because the Bengals did stop like running empty after halftime and they stopped doing some of the things that they usually do. But through the first six quarters of this matchup this season, the Ravens have been like on every route concept the Bengals call with some some exceptions. Like there was obviously the chase touchdown where he beats Daryl Worley one on one. I mean, Worley's not going to play this week, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. And then the the deep ball that Burrow underthrew to Chase when he got open, that was a good defensive call. Chase just ran right by the safety. So I don't think that's like yeah. a play calling issue. I like I think Mike McDaniel is gonna win the battle between him and Zach McDonald's. Taylor. I just Mike McDonald, I just don't think it's gonna matter. Steven will never correctly name the head coach of the Miami Dolphins and the defense coordinator. You can only uh, have uh, an offensive uh, prodigy that's one. Yeah, yeah, a Mike McDaniel offensive prodigy and a Mike McDonald. McDaniel and McDonald have been kicking my ass all season long. I've like (laughs) avoided even saying their names because of it. One of them has to go. I'm I'm for the Dolphins firing uh, Mike McDaniel McDaniel for the convenience of my podcasting. We could do a Hamilton. Just have them do a duel and like, you know, lose the leaves town. All right, let's go to Mike McDaniel then. So the Dolphins are at the Bills. This is like the same thing, but as Bengals Ravens, but even worse, it's a divisional matchup with the starting quarterback gone. Tua has been ruled out for this game. Sky Thompson's going to start at quarterback for the Dolphins. And now that Sky Thompson's quarter uh, starting the line for Bill's Dolphins is 13 points. I, I, Tyree kill has an ankle injury. And like, that seems to be a big problem for him. Like, I, I don't even know what to say here. Like, the Dolphins have no chance in this game, I, right? Like, no. I don't think there's much we have to add. Just take the conversation we just had about Bengals-Ravens and now act like the Ravens never fired Wink Martindale and hired McDonald instead. And that's the, the Dolphins' defense stinks and has no chance of slowing down the Bills' offense. And now their quarterback's injured, so their offense is probably not going to move the ball. It's going to be a blowout. Yeah, I, I think this is a game where, honestly, the best part of the game will be if Tamar Hamlin like, leads the Bills out of the tunnel, and then like the game itself will probably not be very entertaining. Other than like an open yeah. kickoff return. One thing I'm talking about, like the advantage the Bengals get having a little bit of a bye week if they get, you know, an Anthony Brown game. Uh, Micah Hyde practicing is the most enormous potential injury player return to a team of anybody this season. More than Hyde's the Bill safety who's been on injured yeah. reserve since like week one. Yeah, it was before yeah. the Dolphins game, I think. They played the Dolphins in week, what, three, three. four? Yeah. yeah, something like that. So it was like week right, two, but, week but, one. Yeah. Well, it's with, with, you know, obviously with like Hamlin, you know, he played the entire season. He's obviously not going to play the rest of the year. They're even thinner at safety than they were previously. Well, Hamlin was in replacing Micah Hyde and Micah Hyde and Jordan yeah. Poyer were the best safety combo in the NFL. Yeah. And so Hyde coming back, it's about as impact as it gets. Uh, and so if this were like two of flying and you had to worry about this offense, you'd be worried that you get outscored, you get boat raced. This should be a blowout. It should be four quarter wall to wall, 60 minute domination. And it gives the Bills another week to get Micah Hyde on the field. And if the Bills get Micah Hyde on the field, I mean, this AFC playoffs is going to be so good no matter what, but it, it's very meaningful for the way they play defense. That would change everything. Okay. All right, last one here. The Seahawks are at San Francisco. Again, third straight divisional matchup, third meeting between these teams. Also, the least, one of the like the biggest lines of the weekend. The Niners are 10-point favorites. Uh, 49ers beat the Seahawks twice this season. They beat them by 20 in September. They beat them by 8 in December. I mean... We were talking earlier this week about this game, and it just the 49ers defensive line is just so much more talented than the Seahawks offensive line. The 49ers skill players are so good. You guys, I mean, the Bills beating up on the Dolphins and third string quarterbacks, obvious. 
the Bengals beating up on the Ravens and a backup or a third string quarterback is obvious. But you guys seem to really also feel the Seahawks like I have no chance here. Yeah, I don't know how they score any points. Like they can't <laughs> they can't block long enough for Gino to like do a regular drop back and they can't block well enough in the ground game to get that going consistently against this 49ers team. So like I, unless they invent a new way to a new play type that isn't running or passing the ball, then I don't I don't see how it works. The pressure that the Niners put on Geno Smith in that game. I remember watching it being like, oh, it's a lot of pressure. And then I watched that game back this week. And I like if I were Geno, I would have just quit. I would have not come on the field for the fourth quarter. He was under unbelievable duress. They had Samson Epicom, Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead all had a combined 16 pressures. Anybody Samson Epicom, big Samson Epicom fans in the chat? <laughs> when Samson Epicom's got six pressures, you're having Isn't a that tough the game. Guy in the when office. the Chiefs Rams had the 54 to 51 Monday Night Football. Isn't Samson Epicom the guy who like stole the ball from Mahomes? And, like, yeah, the game? I, I yeah. was going to say Wade Phillips is a big Epicom guy. Big, big Samson Epicom guy. So is that what's uh, going to have this game's 54 to 51? Yeah, about. Um, the way that the Seahawks score points, right? And they, they had seven against the Niners in the first game and 13 against them in the second game. The way that they score points is that they huck up prayers to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and they win the 50-50s. They win the jump balls. They win the downfield shots. They win that. They need Metcalf to be... They need Metcalf to... Like, when Metcalf gets shadowed, when he gets pressed one-on-one, that's what the Niners did with Charvarius Ward in the second game. He doesn't respond the way they need him to. They, it's just very simple, right? Like, like they, they think play about, big. Like, yeah, like the, the the history that he has with Ramsey, with Jerry Alexander, with Traverius Ward, like Metcalf does not like having a guy up in his face who just like bothers him for the entire game. He like he also he seems gets, like when cornerbacks like talk shit to him that he kind of gets yeah. like he mentally he does frazzled. lose focus. He gets like Adele used to. Yeah, and, and and that makes that makes it so okay. Now we have to live on Tyler Lockett trying to like streak between Talano Hufanga and Jimmy Ward, both of whom are like twenty pounds heavier than he is. Like it's just not. It they they have to have to have to have to have to be able to max protect and then win on downfield shots. And Gino's going to do his job. Gino's going to put that ball in catchable positions. They need Metcalf and Lockett to have like career games. They have a shot. They need to be able to rip off four play 80 yard drives. That's how they're going to have to live because down to down, they just have such a big mismatch in the trenches that they're not going to be able to sustain. I, yeah, I, I mean, I could see like Brock Purdy just imploding because that's what I was wondering. Because I feel like Purdy, rookie. he's played so well, but I, I guess if okay. I told you the Seahawks won the game, and I came from the future. What would you say about Brock Purdy's performance? How the game must have he, gone? He threw the ball away. He threw the ball away twice, at least. I think that's what's got to happen. It almost happened in the Thursday night game. And that game was competitive. And I, that's I what I'm wondering. Because I like, don't believe Tyler Lockett played. But there was also a short week and the Seahawks were at home. I don't think it's going to be the same effort that you get out of the 49ers in a playoff game. Yeah. Well, I will say this, though. If you bring me to the future, if you come to the back here from the future and you tell me that Brock Birdie imploded and that's why the Niners lost the game. My first question is going to be how many pass attempts does he have? Because there's no reason that Kyle should be letting Purdy throw the ball more than like 18 times against this Seahawks run defense with the, with the way the offensive line's playing with, with, the, with the weapons that they have in the running game. This is the sort of game where like like Purdy can have his little, you know, fake double screen touchdowns to George Kittle. They can make sure the stats look nice and whatever. But I'm not, especially a, a seventh round rookie in his first career playoff start, I am not letting him throw the football early when I have Elijah Mitchell back in the lineup, Christian McCaffrey still healthy, and I can run the ball the way the Niners can. This is going to be a very run-heavy script for me until the Seahawks force me into a position where I have to throw the football. Yeah, and that's the question. Can they force him? No. It's a Seahawks run defense. <laughs> no. All right, let's make people some money then. Based on everything you just said, why? what is going to go wrong if you do a 10-point a three-team teaser, you move the line by 10 points, and you just do Bengals to beat the Ravens, and you have the Bills to just beat the Dolphins with Sky Thompson by more than a field goal, and the Niners to beat the Seahawks straight up. Three team teams for ten points. Which one of those teams blows it for you, or is that just free money? Who? Bengals. I think Bengals is probably the most realistic one, but even then, I don't see it happening. But like, it's three games, and they're they're all the third matchup in this season, so anything could happen. Like someone could just get out game plan. I could. Like we said, the it was a competitive game between the 49ers and Seattle. So even if it is a mismatch on paper, uh, Pete's capable of coming up with a game plan. I don't know. I feel like Seattle's whole thing has been, whether they were huge favorites or not, or are huge underdogs, just every game being close at the end with Seattle. 
they need Marshawn Lynch to go on like one of those crazy runs that causes an earthquake and maybe they'll win. Okay, there we go. So there, there's your free money. Three-team teaser, Bengals, Bills, Niners. It's uh, approved with Solex stamp of silence. I save, also your money, say f- save your money and bet on the Giants instead. Uh, bet yeah, on TJ Hawkinson over four and a half catches. Giants money line, baby. All right, and also, you know what? Why don't you just put the Giants-Bucks parlay in because we're going to get a Giants-Bucks NFC Championship game. So there you go. There's your other one. You heard it here first. If we okay. get a Giants Box Fantasy Championship game, I will not watch or attend. I will be very upset. <laughs> I'll abstain. You could do the you can do the Bill Simmons pod with just like PTSD or whatever from there you go from Giants versus Brady. Uh okay. Thank you to him for listening. Thank you, Steven. Thank you, Solak. Thank you, Isaiah and Eduardo, for being vulnerable and sharing your anxieties. Um maybe we should make them do some kind of avatar bet on Chargers Jacks. I don't know. I don't know. The people are allowed to not participate in avatar bets. They should no longer be cajoled. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is the Ringer NFL Show. We'll see you guys next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.